apart from the data queue, and this this kind of applies to most things like ELDs and emergency declaration issues, and those are some things I kind of written down to touch on if there were time. Okay. It's it's really about the information that you're feeding your driver. That is so key because if you're a safety director or you're uh, you know you're the owner of the company and you've got ten trucks or twenty right. trucks or five hundred trucks. Like the education and information that you feed your driver is so key and so critical to the whole process. Um, and maybe that's why the one owner operator is successful, more right. successful, because they know 100% unequivocally what's going on, who they work for, what they're doing, where they've been, you know, all that stuff. you heard at the top is that of Captain John Olson of the Minnesota State Patrol's Commercial Vehicle Enforcement Unit, talking in the context of the Data Cube system. That's the federal system for correcting errors and in information collected as it relates to carriers and drivers' inspections and crashes, of course. It's used for disputing erroneous violations marked on inspection reports, among other things. And Captain Olson spoke there to a rate of success at the level of the smallest of small carriers independent owner-operators like so many of you that we've uncovered with some recent reporting you'll see next week at OverdriveOnline.com. Stay tuned for that. Olson also referenced their hours of service violations, though, that are the result of uh, invalid use of the emergency exception to the hours of service. That exception, or exemption, put in place with the COVID-19 emergency declaration almost a year ago is still in place at least to the end of the month and covers, well, I'll read it out to you. Here we go. 1. Livestock and livestock feed. 2. Medical supplies and equipment related to the testing, diagnosis, and treatment of COVID-19. 3. Vaccines, constituent products, and medical supplies and equipment, including ancillary supplies and kits for the administration of vaccines related to the prevention of COVID-19. 4. Supplies and equipment necessary for community safety, sanitation, and prevention of community transmission of COVID-19, such as masks, gloves, hand sanitizer, soap, and disinfectants. And this last one, number five, is where Captain Olson and others in the enforcement community are seeing, let's call them issues. Number five, food, paper products, and other groceries. And I'll pause here to emphasize the last part of this is key to the definition of just where the exemption qualifies for those quote food paper products and other groceries end quote items quote for emergency restocking of distribution centers or stores direct assistance does not include routine commercial deliveries including mixed loads with a nominal quantity of qualifying emergency relief added to obtain the benefits of this emergency declaration i'm todd dills And I thought I'd start here today on this audio run on the Overdrive Radio podcast because the emergency exemption, perhaps oddly, perhaps not, has been coming up in conversation a lot with owner-operators and drivers I've been talking to the last few weeks. Odd, maybe, considering it's been in place for getting close on a year already and given we've covered it closely in the beginning of the pandemic here uh, last spring. I might have been comfortable with this and thought that most folks had it figured out by now particularly as regards those, quote, food, paper products, and other groceries for emergency restocking of distribution centers or stores, end quote, loads. 
We're going to get through a lot today, including a look back on episode 5 of the Over the Road podcast co-production between Overdrive and PRX's Radiotopia podcast network. In that episode, our own long-haul Paul Marhofer, host of the show, and Over the Road contributing producer Lacey Roberts hauled back through Lacey's childhood as the daughter of a trucking family growing up in Montana. The tale offers a moving portrait of the sacrifices Over the Road drivers make balancing work and family life, and the sacrifices, too, those back home endure. Before we get there, though, take a listen to this part of my recent conversation with John Olson up in Minnesota, which touches on some of those key considerations any driver should be aware of before making an assumption that a load qualifies for the emergency exemption. Number one, well, dogs aren't livestock, maybe. You'll understand momentarily. We're, we're, we're really starting to see a lot of challenges now come through relating to the emergency declaration okay. that uh, FMCSA has issued throughout the year. And people using it wrongly, you think? Well, that's, that's our feeling or that's our interpretation. Um, you know, the, I'll give you an example. We stopped the driver driver's like, Oh, I don't have a log book. I'm operating under the exemption. I'm hauling a derivative of flour. Well, where are you going? Uh, someplace in Ohio. Well, where? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. Well, who are you only for? Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. That kind of scenario. So after 30 minutes of sitting on the side of the road and trying to make some calls, come to find out the driver is hauling what he's hauling, and it's going to a dog food manufacturing plant. Uh, you know, you just earned yourself a 10-hour nap on the side of the road. Sorry. Right. Drivers are. I'm not laying the. I'm not laying the blame on the driver. I'm not laying the blame on the carrier. But there's a dis, There's been a disconnect between what the driver knows roadside, and what the carrier or the safety director or, whoever, or the dispatcher knows from wherever they are located. You know the. Just because you're hauling food, doesn't mean the exemption applies to you. But there's been a lot of issues, at least that we've seen here in Minnesota. And I'm guessing this is not a just a Minnesota thing where, you know, I'm hauling apples back from Washington, and because I'm hauling apples, I don't need to run a logbook. It's like, well, did you read the declaration? Do you understand that there are key points that you have to hit on to qualify for that declaration? And, you know, right. we're, we're kind of forced with, when the driver can't answer those questions for us, we're basically forced with putting them out of service for no logbook. Right. Um which I know is not necessarily making the carriers happy, and we're starting to see those challenges uh, come through. So it's yeah. going to be interesting trying to work through all those because um, I just talked to my data queue administrator yesterday, and he's like, yeah, we're dealing with one today where it was a driver was hauling frozen food products from one cold storage to another and was claiming the exemption, the emergency declaration exemption. It's like, well... So we go, we try to do as much research as we can, including calling the shipper and the receiver. And, you know, what do they say? They say, no, these were not hot loads. This was not an emergency. We would never have said that they were an emergency. Yeah. See, the thing that, the thing that I uh, remember when, when this first came into play was that basically, like, uh, if, it's, if it's truly in an emergency type load, then, yeah, you can claim the exemption and make sure that it's on the bill of lading. And, um as such um and you know yep. in, in most cases it, with these big 
shippers and stuff, uh, they're, you know, they're kind of primary in sort of creating, helping create those bills of lading. And so it's like a, you know, if not all, if not all parties on the chain view this as an emergency load, then yeah, you, you're not going to be good on, on. Yes, uh, sir. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's, you know, what does the, what does the driver know for details? What can they share roadside with the inspector when they're stopped right. and they don't have a logbook? you know, making sure that, that, that as a motor carrier, you're doing that education to drivers so they know unequivocally when they qualify, when they don't, right. and understanding that that exemption is not a blanket exemption, but just because you're hauling ground beef or flour or corn or whatever it is, that right. it's just not an automatic blanket exemption. And, you know, FMCSA is trying to, you know, weigh the need versus the safety aspect of it. And we're stuck trying to do the same thing on the side of the road, you know, right. weighing the safety of a driver who maybe needs a nap versus, yeah, you go to Costco and I can't buy chicken right now because there is none. It's like, well, the consumer, I want to go to Costco and buy chicken. <laughs> you know, there's right. a fine line there. So for me, if mention of the COVID exemption or emergency restocking at least isn't on the bill of lading and I'm unsure of whether the load qualifies, I'd really want assurance from the broker I'm working with, from the shipper receiver, from my carrier, one or better yet more of the parties along this chain of responsibility here before I ultimately think about claiming the exemption. Remember. Just because you're hauling food doesn't mean the exemption applies to you. Food for thought, I hope. Now. Over the Road, Episode 5, called Back Home in its original conception. You can track back through all the first four episodes in your uh, Overdrive radio feed wherever you get your podcasts. We started this Over the Road rerun uh, just ahead of the Christmas holiday. It's been ongoing with some breaks week to week since then. You can find them all, too, via our website at overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. Before we hand it off to Long Haul Paul and uh, Lacey Roberts, though, Here's a quick word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. If you're a leased owner-operator, you need quality insurance to keep you protected. Call First Guard for the commercial truck insurance you need and the service you deserve. First Guard is the trucker's insurance company. We understand your needs and offer physical damage and non-trucking liability insurance for leased owner-operators. With First Guard, you always get fast and friendly service. Visit firstguard.com. That's the number one, stguard.com. First Guard, we speak trucker. Let's talk. In my early years out here, I learned a lot from a close friend and mentor of mine, an old reefer hauler named Thud Thornburg. You might recall I spoke to his dad, Theldon, a couple episodes back about his days as a wildcatter. Well, Thud told me, Paul, to be any good at this, you have to be willing to do what no one has any right to ask of you. What he meant by that is that Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas with the family, your kids' birthdays, these things can never be taken for granted again once you become an over-the-road truck driver. After a while, though, there's a certain emotional callus that forms. You learn not to fret over every little thing that might be going on back at home, and you do this as a means of survival. 
You find yourself in Jackson, Georgia, on Christmas Eve, 600 miles from home, at some truck stop, talking to complete strangers at a McDonald's, coaching them while you coach yourself. I mean, look, Christmas was no cakewalk for the baby Jesus either. Try living in a barn in December with your newborn baby laying in a feed trough. See how well that goes over with the Department of Family Services. You could actually catch me saying things like this. At least that's how it was from my perspective, the trucker's perspective. But there's another side to this story. What happens to Mary and the baby Jesus when Joseph's got a load of lettuce bound for Boston? And that's the one we'll be hearing today from our very own Lacey Jane Roberts. Paul? Lacey! Hi! If you've been with us since the beginning, you know that Lacey is not only a whip-smart producer, but that she also comes from a family of truckers. When I was a little kid, it was pretty much everybody. It was my, my dad, all of my uncles, both of my grandpas, and my grandma, too. My microphone. She's recording everything you saw. And most of them were men, so, like, the men of the family were gone a lot. And that was normal. Like, dads, dads are gone a lot. That's me. So, you went to visit your folks recently. Yeah, I did. What's going on out here? We're talking oh, just the yellow jackets and the ants. I want to talk to my mom. I don't, well, my memory is very similar to your memory. <laughs> my dad. I loved it. That's how I grew up. I was a ranch kid. About those days, I wanted to talk to my grandparents. You're my favorite granddaughter, and I spoiled you rotten. And I wanted to talk to my younger brother, Zane. How much younger than me are you? Uh, a year and some months. Almost two years. Yeah, it's more like a year, but yeah. I guess I wanted to understand better the ways in which trucking impacted my family. Because my memories of it are the memories of a little kid. Today on the show, we'll hear a story that spans three generations, from a fateful New Year's Eve kiss in 1957 to the very real choices facing Lacey and her brothers today. So sit tight. From PRX's Radiotopia and Overdrive magazine, this is Over the Road. I'm Long Haul Paul. So now where where exactly are you from out there? I was born in a little town in southeastern Montana called Miles City. It's it's best known for a couple things. One being in the great western Lonesome Dove and being where the cowboy in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was was from. <laughs> I think I've delivered tropical plants to Miles City, Montana to the Walmart. I'm I'm shooting from the hip here, but is there a Walmart in yeah, Miles City? Yeah, Montana? that's possible. There we got a Walmart. But yeah, it's it's where it's where my family is really, really from. 
Sing at all. Follow me, Grandma. Lacey, I'm I'm looking at this 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 picture of your grandmother. She's standing on on a mountain road with with, with her semi, and she's just staring straight into the into the camera like. Yeah, I, I realize I look like a young Audrey Hepburn, and I drive a truck. So, what? Do you have some kind of problem with that? <laughs> She'd love that. I just, I'm just so curious to, to to see how your conversation went with your grandmother. Can we? Why don't you just sit here and let me see what it sounds like? It was really nice. Okay. Oh, okay. We could go sit in the car. Okay. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. I have a I have a big boisterous family. Um, I have four younger brothers, and they're loud. And my grandpa's loud, and everyone's yelling at each other or the TV all the time. And it was nice for us to just be able to sit quietly and and all talk right. at length. Okay, Grandma. Okay. When tell me about how you and Grandpa met. Oh, we met. Oh. Okay, this was on December 31st. It's like kind of a legendary story in my family. New Year's Eve in the late 50s in Mile City at the Elks Lodge. Big dance. And that's when I first met him. Grandma was either 12 or 13. Um, and my grandpa was like a real hot shot. In my mind, he's sort of like he... Like, rolls his, like, cigarettes up in his, like, white T-shirt sleeve. He came up the stairs and gave me a big kiss for uh, New Year's Eve. The first thing he did when he met, you had never met him before, and he just planted one on you? No, I, I, I knew his sister, but no, I didn't know him until down the road. And that's how they met for the first time. And then they started, the way, you know, Grandma puts it, they started going together. And at the age of 14, we got married. And Tom was 17. I was 14. And then when did he become a truck driver? Well, he'd done a lot of truck driving when he was young. I think when he was 15, he was running around delivering milk in different cities up there around Mile City. My grandpa was a trucker for quite some time before she started driving. And she was mostly at home. You know, it was almost like you were a single mom in those early years when Grandpa was on the road all the time and you were working. And Yeah, he was gone all the time. And there were times when he'd be out and he'd have to run and get a check from somebody that he just delivered to. And then he'd have to run around trying to get it, the cash back. And, it, it was, you know, it's just hard to get that all done and get home again. You know, it's it's pathetic. Did you miss your husband? Oh, yeah. And they missed their dad, too. He was, a, he was a good man with them. He always protected them because I always had to make them behave. And then uh, down the road, he bought his own truck, and we started doing that a little more seriously. That was 1970 because I quit my job. She would, from time to time, leave the girls with my great-grandma or someone else to stay for a week at a time or something and then go take trips with my grandpa. I started trucking with Tom a lot. And in those times, she would drive, um, you know, while he slept to give him a break. Tom was working too hard because he'd be on the road all the time. My grandpa was running really, really hard, this, like, weekly route from California to Winnipeg. So one day I told him, Tom... 
you go west and let me go east. We can get through this. She said, why don't, why don't I, why don't you let me help? He looked at me like he, I was crazy. He says, what the heck's wrong with you? You've never even put fuel in this truck. Why do you want to go trucking by yourself? And uh, I said, well, you just let me show you. You get in the sleeper and stay out of there and I'll show you I can drive truck. And I did. Drove all the way over to Winnipeg and back and uh, he didn't do much of anything. And then she did it on her own, basically, for 15 or 20 years. Didn't your grandmother have a secret weapon when dealing with the border personnel? She did. She she baked, like, a hundred cookies every week. Lacey's favorite cookies. What kind of cookies were they? They were pumpkin cookies. You loved them. It was this... Betty Crocker recipe for pumpkin chocolate chip cookies. And them guys were always, uh, see the truck, come on in, we'll get you unloaded. That's the first thing they say. <laughs> uh, your grandmother, like, armed with homemade cookies. She, she probably could have annexed uh, Alberta in her day <laughs> if she if she wanted to do that and just let that be her gift to America. You know, probably. And I think she's probably made millions of cookies. Those, So those pumpkin chocolate chip cookies really greased the wheels for you. Oh, yeah, it did. In my trucking days, yes, it did. Helped out a lot. Was there anything else in this conversation that came out that you weren't expecting? Well, I... I didn't really plan to, but I ended up asking, did you, what would you think if one of these boys decided to be a truck driver now? You know, what would you have done if, if one of my brothers became a truck driver? And my grandma said, well, I always think Zane might. If that's what you want to do, you do it. And then I asked her, what if I um, married a truck driver? Well, it's a little different. I don't know. I'd protect my granddaughter. You wouldn't want me to marry a truck driver? No, I want you to live normally. I, w- I would want you to have a normal life. That's what she said, a normal life. You, I, it's, it's, it's hard, you know. You, you watch your mom. There were times when your dad wasn't doing well and your mom having to put up with stuff until the end. And that was it, the end. There's something to her about, you know, you can you can make a life out on the road, but it's it's harder to be left behind, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Wow. I think that's all my questions. Okay. What do you think? Okay. It's been too long ago. <laughs> Now, this is your grandmother on your mom's mom's side or dad's side? Yeah, mom's side. I am Lacey Roberts' mom. <laughs> I'm your mom. <laughs> My mom is an extremely active person. She never sits still. She doesn't dwell on the past. And I think that that's <laughs> um, served her very well over the years, considering how much she's had to do. 
Now, how does your mom remember all this growing up with, you know, trucker parents? Well, my mom, you know, is kind of like me, I guess. You know, she grew up with a trucker dad, and during the first whatever dozen or so years of her life, he was gone a lot, a lot. I remember my mother always being, like, the disciplinarian and the one who had to, like, teach us all the things. Um, And then when he was home, he was sort of the good cop, and Grandma was always the bad cop. I fell into that good cop thing, too, when I was gone a lot, you know. So it's almost like being a trucker dad. You you don't have to get your hands dirty with, like, a lot of the disciplinary things. Yeah, that's the way she talks about it. Um, I do have one very fond memory of my first grade school carnival or something, and that there was, like, a, a cakewalk and just riding on my dad's shoulders to the carnival with the cake and then getting there. And I thought it was such a big deal in my, like, little girl uh, (laughs) mind that everybody was going to be so thrilled to see my dad because my dad was never around. They were going to be like, whoa, Terry's dad's here. (laughs) And nobody cared. (laughs) But for me, it was, like, such a thing. And how did she feel about trucking at the time as a job? Um, I think that she, you know, grew up around truck driving, so it wasn't anything weird. I mean, that was just a way of life, right? So you didn't really, I didn't really think about it too much. Yeah, and that translated into a relationship with somebody who also became um, an over-the-road driver that, you, you knew what you were in for. There were no surprises. I think she was 20 when she got married, maybe 21. We don't have conversations. It's just like, oh, you're getting married. Hmm, okay. <laughs> there is no like, okay, you're, you, you should stop and think about this. You're too young, A. B, he's going to be gone a lot. You know what that's like. Are you sure that's what you want? C, this is going to be the father to your your kids and you're going to be raising your kids a lot on your own. Should you think about that? No, nobody did that for me. No. My mom was always a pretty independent person. And so I think that, you know, when they were first married, my dad was trucking, you know, it worked for her. And and not having to be, uh, you know, responsible for anything other than myself for a good part of the time that we were we were dating and, and married. I didn't know about that time when, like, he first started trucking, and it was really great for both of them because he was making money and she was really independent and, like, they had a great life. When was it that you started to, like, think about my dad's truck driving in a negative way? It's definitely once once the kids started happening. Absolutely. My mom unexpectedly uh, got pregnant with me. I had to find a babysitter who lived nearby my work so I could go nurse on my breaks. Then my brother came 22 months later, and then I had another brother two or three years after that, and another brother two or, two or three years after that. It was just a lot for me. Um, as a 22, 23-year-old to do. So my mom was pregnant or breastfeeding for almost 10 years. 
And she was doing a lot of that stuff on her own. When I was pregnant with Zane, I had this moment where we had a dog and the, the, the dog had died in the backyard and I was like eight and a half months pregnant. I'm like, what do I do with the big dead dog bloating in the backyard? You know, things like that. They just happen that you just don't really like, what do I do with this? right now you know and like in the in a moment when you're like already dealing with all this other stuff a thing like that just overwhelms you to the point like i'm sick of this <laughs> yeah it it just got a lot harder cuz there was just so much more to do rather than her sort of doing her own thing when he was gone it was her raising kids on her own yeah I mean, you might, you might see your dad like four days a month at that point in time. Yeah, I really – I have like no memory of dad during that time. Probably it was harder on Zane just because he was like a little mini-me with his dad. And he liked to wear the big straw cowboy hat like his dad. And, you know, it's the, that's how I would notice it, not like – you know, when's daddy going to be home? I didn't really hear that. You know, I didn't really hear any like, I miss daddy, that sort of thing. But I also didn't feel that when I was a kid. I think he was home fairly regularly, but he'd only be home for a short amount of time. I mean, I grew up in the same house and I had the same memories as a child when my dad was gone. There was, we didn't do much. We were always had that big old house and that big old yard, and that's where we stayed. <laughs> In my memory, what happened was, like, he trucked the whole time, basically from the time I was born until I was 11, and it just got too hard. Had we not spent so much time apart throughout our relationship, maybe things would have been different. It's true, but it was just, we were together 11 years, and that's a long time to grow apart. She went to college during this time? I had developed a very independent life from him, and I liked it better. And they split up, and my dad moved out, and we moved into this rental house, and I think we were there for a year. And then we moved to Missoula. How was your mom ever able to do that, to be a trucker's wife with four kids at home and and get a bachelor's degree? Honestly, Pa, I have no idea. I mean, I should have asked her that. Um, I think that the answer for her would probably be I did it because I had to. Like, what was the other choice? What was the other choice? Coming up after the break, we'll hear from Lacey's dad about why he chose to drive a truck. And finally, from her brother Zane about why he chose not to. So this cattle hauler dad of yours, did you have a chance to talk to him at all? Yeah, and it was really nice to talk to him about this stuff. 
So he still trucks, but he's home every weekend now. And when we showed up in Mile City, my dad had made this plan that he wanted to take me and my brother to the ranch he grew up on. Do you need me to move the seat up? It was like 30 miles up a really slow-going dirt road. It took like an hour or an hour and a half to get there. It was an insanely beautiful late spring in eastern Montana. It was like super, super green. Um, everything was just like popping. We're quite a ways from the place yet. It was a cattle ranch, really out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we had a gun rack in the school bus, for heaven's sakes. They did it. Yeah. I mean, I think that I had a free-range childhood. I mean, he used to get sent off to school by himself when he was like seven years old with a shotgun in case he saw any coyotes, you know? I mean, they're the scourge. All ranchers hate him. So he was like actually one of those kids in those like one-room schoolhouses out there. This isn't like the 1800s, you know? It was like... My dad was born in 1964, so, you know, it was like the late 60s, 70s. Until he was a teenager, until he entered high school, and that's when he had to go to school in town. And I didn't know nothing. And I'm looking around, and I ain't fitting in. Uh And people were making fun of me. I was mortified. I went home about bawling. Of course, then every bully in the place wanted to fight you because you were such a, you know, hick. My grandpa would take jobs in the winter when it was slow on the ranch hauling bulls. My dad would go with him. Yeah, in fact, when I was 14, I took a truck by myself and followed him to Glasgow, Montana, with a load of cows all by myself when I was only 14. So... He had that experience, and then he told me that, you know, he thought it was so cool. Did you think about doing anything else for no, work? No, Them were all my heroes. The, the young guys that were driving truck and stuff, I couldn't wait till I got old enough to get my own CDL so I could go myself. Why were they your heroes? I don't know. What about it? Like, what, what did it seem glamorous? It seemed really glamorous, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> Plus, I mean, I guess I don't really have a sense of what kind of work there was for people out here. You know, what is this? This is the mid-80s. Yeah, it was the early 80s, and there was nothing. It was back when the interest rates were really high. I tried really hard, like, to get on at the mines, and and uh, nobody was hiring. So we just, I, you could always get a job driving truck if you were good at it. So that's what I did. Honestly, I didn't know enough about trucking or had enough curiosity about his trucking career before to ask him about all of the all of the things I asked him about. So when we were, I don't know, like when when we were in Mile City and like living on Trescott Street and were little, like how many miles a week were you doing? Like how often were you coming home on average? If I was hauling produce, I would go to California and back and stop at home and sleep overnight and then go to Canada and unload and reload, come home and sleep overnight and go back to California. So it's probably 5,000 miles a week around there. He was, he said he was running 5,000 miles a week. Yeah. That's a lot of miles. I don't, 
I don't know how to quantify that to someone who doesn't speak in terms of miles, but like how many hours of driving do you think would it, it would take to do 5,000 miles in a week, Paul? To quantify that on a weekly basis, you're, you're, you're talking an 80 to 100-hour work week. So that would be the produce time and then the bull hauling time. And the bull hauling time was probably even worse. I mean, you just go, 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 go. You had to get the loads while they were there because you knew the next month there might be nothing. So if you had something to do, you went and did it. Paul, you and I talked about this a good bit when we were on the road. Um, And we were talking Mm -hmm. about the years when you were um, driving really hard and you described them as a blur. Yeah. I think that that's what it was like for my dad. It would just seem like it was forever. The way that he talks about it. How much were you sleeping? Not very much. How would you feel when you would come home? I didn't, I wasn't any good to you or your mom or anybody. I would just sleep and then get up and leave again. He couldn't do anything but sleep, you know? He was so exhausted. I remember, like, I do remember mom, like, when you would come home, like, it would be like, dad's coming home, but you gotta get, let him sleep. (laughs) Like, you can't crawl, you have to leave dad alone. (laughs) I do remember that. You know, that one of the things about getting a reputation as a good, dependable, hard runner is you, you get in this cycle where the more you do for people, the more they expect of you. You know, something that I remember you saying when we were talking, when we were driving, um, you wanted to be the guy that could get it done. Yeah, I mean, there is something about, you know, when the dispatcher says, I've got about three guys I I could trust with this load. You're one of them. And a good dispatcher knows how to give you the Newt Rockney talk, you know, and talk about those sissies who have to be home every weekend with their little families, those, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, it's that's that's what it is. It becomes that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, you're you're that guy that's, you know, whose wife is saying, leave, leave your dad alone, he's exhausted. When, like in your 20s when we were little kids and you were like doing 5,000 plus miles a week, like, like how do you keep going? I mean, is it like, is it the money? Like is it? It's partly the money and you did that to you drove that hard to get home for a night to see your family you would drive straight through from LA to Mile City Montana just so you could sleep at home and see your kids until the next day so that was like the light at the end of the tunnel yeah and then you would you know you'd have that night and probably leave the next evening go on to Canada and come back and spend a night and part of a day at home and then you drive straight to California, get unloaded and reloaded, and drive straight home so you could spend a day with your family. Mm-hmm. 
I know when you'd leave down that country, you'd get to Idaho. When you crossed into Idaho, it was only 500 miles home, five, 600 miles home, and you feel like you're almost home. <laughs> no kidding. And you'd we're feel- in like Eastern Montana out yeah, here. Like yeah. you're like two states away from home still. Two big ones. Yeah, yeah, it'd be 600 miles to go, but when you crossed into Idaho, you'd think you're home. Oh, I'm almost home. You know, maybe he'd ne- and he'd never told me a lot of these stories either. Like he'd never volunteered these stories, and I wonder if it's because he just didn't think that there was much that was extraordinary about it, because it's such a fact of life for him. I've kind of I've wondered about this whole thing about you know if you're an, a trucker, you know, an itinerant worker, you're gone a lot. Do, at some point, do you relinquish? the right to your own story you don't get to tell your story someone has to ask is that something that you feel with you and your your family well i, I was very i was very fortunate to have had a, a wife who, who would tell my kids things like now oh, we're our bills are really tight so your dad's going back out to california again to kind of get us out of trouble and so, I mean, there's things that were repeated to me by my daughters. And so, you know, sort of like your grandfather, I got to be the good guy when I got home. Yeah. And so I was very fortunate to to have had someone who was a pretty good PR agent for me. But not every, not every truck driver is um, fortunate that way. So the last person I want to tell you about, Paul, is my brother, Zane. My name is Zane Roberts. Who are you? Uh, I'm the brother of the beautiful Lacey Roberts. <laughs> Zane, that's a great Western name. That's 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 <laughs> yeah. a true cowboy name there, huh? I mean, my name is Lacey Jane Roberts, and my brother's name is Zane Tyler Roberts. Couldn't get two more <laughs> perfect little cowboy and cowgirl names. <laughs> Yeah, well, so was Zane, was he like a, did he grow up like a cowboy? Was he kind of like a rodeo guy, a bull hauler guy? Or Oh, he was such a little mini-me of my dad. I remember one time I went to Fresno with dad when we were like, I was probably in second grade. So I did a lot of sleeping in the back and he just drove. and He just like worshipped the ground my dad walked on um, and loved the truck. And ate Vienna sausages. Yeah, like straight out of the can? Yeah, that's really all we ate. My dad, for example, was really into the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, when he was home, him and Zane would always watch the Dallas Cowboys game together. He's still, he's still like 90% of his shirts are Cowboys jerseys. Wow. Now, did Zane ever, did he become a truck driver or what did he wind up doing? No, Zane, Zane never became a truck driver. No, I decided a long time ago I would never do that. I would never place money or work above things I care about, you know. That's that's probably one of my first lessons, life lessons, for sure. For Zane, those years he remembers 
than being harder because I think my he felt my dad's absence a little bit more. And so I, th- I, th- I don't think I realized until we talked how sort of tender that little, that memory is for him. So Zane told me this, this story that he remembers from being really little that he'd never, he'd never told me about before. When we were little, he, he and my, my cousin used to be like best friends and they'd hang out all the time. And one day they were hanging out over at my aunt's house and they were playing with toy trucks since we were little, you know, he had toy trucks and that's what he wanted to do because he thought it was cool. But the trucks, they meant something different to Zane. And I, I resented that a lot. Just, uh, he didn't know. He didn't know, you know, what he was talking about, so. Why do you think you knew at such a tender age? Just because I, I knew what it did to our family, you know. I, I guess, like, one thing I'm trying to figure out is, like, what did trucking do to our family? Like, part of me is sort of like, nothing? You know, be, like, it supported us. But do you resent the fact that Dad was a truck, truck driver? Um, No. He drove hard because he had four kids, you know, and that's all he really knew how to do. And he resented it. We were too young to know exactly how much, but he always hated it because it just, it, you can't be a parent, you know, you're, that's all you do is truck, you know, you're just driving all the time. But there's not a lot of opportunity out there anyway. So no matter what, you got to work. You just uh, try to be home every night. That That's the most important thing, you know. I think you would be a really good dad. If you ever, if you ever end up doing that. I've heard that, yeah. I just, uh, I haven't thought about any of this in a long time, so. I think that Zane feels some of the pain that my dad felt just because he knows about it. And thinking back on that time, I think brings some of that up. The things you bury, you know? I just knew that uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that to my family if I had one. You know? That's no way to live, you know. There's more important things than that, and a lot of people don't don't ever have that thought, you know. So. Can I ask you a question, Paul? 
Sure. What does it make you feel when I tell you the story about me and, and Zane? It kind of reminds me of, I used to buy my grandkids uh, these semis all the time. <laughs> and my daughter would like catch us like playing semis for hours. And my, my grandson would say, now what kind of wreck is this, Grandpa? Boom. And he'd shove one semi into the other. I said, well, that's a T-bone. And, and now what kind of wreck is this, Grandpa? And we would like play what kind of wreck is this, Grandpa, for long <laughs> periods of time. And then one day... And by then, they had, they had amassed a fleet of about eight trucks. And one day, my daughter just took all those trucks and threw them away. She said they were just getting, it was a mess. They were always getting in the way. But I always kind of wondered if maybe she thought those boys were just having a little too much fun <laughs> with those toy trucks. And... uh in talking to you, I almost wonder if, if you're speaking a truth back to me that I've never really explored that much with my kids. We, we've had these discussions. Oh, come on, Dad. You did the best you could. And let's have a beer. But it's not. It's um, I don't know. I, I, I suppose when I when I hear what you say, Lacey, I, I think, well, this is probably a lot what my own kids went through. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you, they say to you, Dad, we know we know that you did the best you could. You had to do what you had to do. We understand. Does that make you feel better? Yeah. Um, I appreciate it. But, you know, when, you, when you're a parent, <clears throat> you, you get one chance to get it right. Uh, so I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know how to answer that, Lacey, because... I don't, it's like, it's not like, well, I'm glad you understood because they, you know, they, you still don't get that time back, whether they understand that or not. And an old man's conscience can be, can be, um, uh, very harsh at times. I'm just asking because I, because I'd like to ease my dad's conscience a little bit because I know that he feels really bad. I know that he has these similar feelings that you've had. And I'm not quite sure how to do that. I The best thing you can do is um, what what makes me feel good is just to be able to um, to spend time with my, my grown children and their children. And just, you know, my daughter, <laughs> my daughter uh, gave me a haircut the other day. And <laughs> it was just a wonderful time. But I went to another barber to get it corrected, and she <laughs> she busted me because now now my hair is just really short. It's like that buzz cut, long beard look that's going around now. Oh man, oh, this, I like this advice. Hang out with your dad, give him a haircut. Uh, yeah, just just have a nice time because <laughs> you know these these sessions, like these deeply introspective sessions, they might be healthy, but it's probably more like a colonoscopy yeah you don't want to have it done every week yeah okay I, w I do want to say that I think it's very kind and sweet that you you're kind of asking these questions at this point in your life I think your your dad is very fortunate to have a daughter like that 
Well, you know, I think doing this project has sort of um, made me think about these things in a different way. Producer and sound designer Ian Koss, and contributing producer Lacey Roberts at Transmitter Media. Our editor for Overdrive Magazine is Todd Dills. Our digital producer is Aaron Wade. Our project manager is Audrey Martovich. And our executive producer for Radiotopia is Julie Shapiro. I'm Long Haul Paul. All the music on the show is by Ian Koss and myself. Special thanks to Lacey and her family for leaving everything on the field on this episode. Much respect. Also to Greta Cohn at Transmitter Media, who made it possible for Lacey to work with us on this show. On a personal note, special thanks to Thud Thornburg, my old friend and mentor, who I referenced at the top of the show. We hauled many a load together, even teamed a load of tropical plants once to Alaska in the dead of winter. We lost Eldon to cancer a couple months ago. He was the best hand I ever knew. Big thanks for hanging in on our operators and also to Radiotopia for working with us on the Over the Road project. Find the original Over the Road releases and more podcasts in their network via radiotopia.com. FM. We'll be back with more from the run in a couple of weeks here. 
next week. More with Captain John Olson about his state's approach to data queues challenges. And keep tuned to overdriveonline.com for that big feature package I mentioned that launches Monday, February 15th. In four parts, they're all about the intricacies and hurdles and some biases inherent in the data queue system. Some ideas bubbling up on just how to fix the issues, too. It's our Setting the Record Straight series, and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on it. You can always reach us via our podcast message line at 530-408-6423. Be sure to state your name and location with any message. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive Magazine. The podcast is edited and produced by myself, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Mr. Marhofer, Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, News Editor Matt Cole, and Executive Editor James Gillette. And until next time, Keep it pro out there.